Hello, my name is Holly Owens, and welcome to Ed Up Ed Tech, the podcast that keeps you in the know about all the latest ed tech happenings. We interview guests from around the globe to give you deeper insights into the ed tech industry, the field of instructional design, and more. We're proudly a part of America's leading podcast network, the EdUp Experience. It's time to sit back and enjoy the latest episode of EdUp EdTech. Here's what's coming up on this episode. We need to educate for jobs that haven't even been invented yet. And how do Yes, I agree 100%. Do you have a favorite education quote of yours that you'd like to share? Yes, I love Yuval Noah Harari, who is an Israeli philosopher. And he wrote, many pedagogical experts argue that schools should switch to teaching the four C's, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of Ed Up Ed Tech. My name is Holly Owens, and I'm your host. And today we have a fabulous guest with us. We have Dr. Jasmine Cowan, and she is the assistant professor and TESOL practicum coordinator at Toro University in the TESOL and bilingual department. Jasmine, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Holly. Thank you very much for inviting me to be a part of your exciting podcast. I love listening to it. And of course, being invited is a special treat. I'm so glad. I know we had some scheduling and I probably say this at the beginning of every episode now. My calendar is so jammed, but I'm glad the stars aligned. You're on the show and we want to know all about you. So tell us about yourself and your journey into this education space. So. Post-divorce, which is now about 12 years ago, I felt really stuck because my degree as a doctor of education really no longer provided me entry into the positions I was seeking because my skill set was no longer in sync with the current job openings. So I decided to go back to school for another master's degree. And this time I went in for educational technology from Marlborough College in Vermont. And that was a hybrid program. And once a month we met in Brattleboro for a complete weekend to present, discuss and get hands-on help with tech projects such as coding, the Raspberry Pi, developing websites, working on media, using tech for teaching. I learned about Second Life, Phoenix Firestorm, using Minecraft and so on. And I was really challenging as my exposure had been limited. So I learned not only about tech, but I learned about meeting people where they are as an educator because I was met where I was and nurtured upwards. Oh, I really like that response, meeting people where they're at. That is 100% things that people need to do in the ed tech industry, education industry, all the things. So let me ask you this. How was your degree program? You listed a lot of texts that it offered you. So how did you feel like it really started to connect you with this space? <laughs> so the first time I walked in, 
I was definitely the oldest person in that room and everybody thought I was the teacher. Oh and, my. <laughs> and, and I'm like, nah, I'm 50 plus and I am here to learn. So that was a surprise for many. And I had many comments, including friends, why would you do that to yourself? And I said to them as a practicing musician, because I'm also a harpist, you always learn new things. A musician doesn't play the same piece or the same 10 pieces for their entire life. We are always learning new things. So I said, if I can learn a new piece of music, then I can learn new technology. And I want to learn new technology because I think that's where the world is moving. And I need to get my skill set to meet the demands of tomorrow, not of today. For example, Second Life. I had never been in Second Life. It was a real challenge for me to make all of this work. There were dozens of accounts that I had to open in order to try new things such as um, Minecraft. And I have to say that my son was my tutor in Minecraft because I certainly didn't know anything about Minecraft. I still don't get it. It's I so much. It's so I, much to absorb. I, I don't know how I would use that because my specialty is language acquisition and teaching English as a second language. I don't see how Minecraft would help with that. But it was an interesting foray and it certainly sparked a lot of intense conversations between my son and I. And we had all of a sudden a reversed relationship where he became my helper and my tutor and my teacher and I became his student. Uh, yes, the younger generations are definitely teaching us a few things. I love that, that it kind of made you have that connection and that you're helping somebody else is helping you, whether that's your son or, and it's not necessarily always somebody younger, but kind of just helping each other get familiar with the technologies, like you said, for tomorrow. So do you have a favorite education quote of yours that you'd like to share? Yes, I love Yuval Noah Harari, who is an Israeli philosopher, and he wrote in his 21 lessons for the 21st century, he wrote the following. Many pedagogical experts argue that schools should switch to teaching the four C's, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity. More broadly, schools should downplay technical skills and emphasize general life purpose life skills. Most important of all will be the ability to deal with change, to learn new things, and to preserve our mental balance in unfamiliar situations. I love it how we're both teachers and the way that this episode is already flowing like a lesson. And with that quote, it just adds an emphasis on how important learning is. That's a good one. Yes. So it's really important with all of this technology to also shut it off. To yes. have, thank you to, for saying that. <laughs> to, to create that mental balance and to also keep your mental balance in unfamiliar situations. So when we all went over to Zoom, that became a challenge because you're teaching now in a space that doesn't allow you to interact with your students. So how do you make that work? So keeping your mental balance and being awake, aware, and forecast of what might happen is very important. Yes, 100%. Over the winter break, I shut down social media. I shut it all down and I just took a, a complete break from it because it was necessary and definitely, definitely needed. 
So you have a lot of experience in ed tech and education in this realm and going through a, a program and just being the assistant professor at Toro University. Tell us, how would you personally define educational technology? So I want to take a look back and then a look forward, because historically, even the ancient abacus, early writing such as pictographs or the Gutenberg Press were educational technology. And in its first inception, educational technology was aids like charts, maps, symbols, models, specimens, and other concrete materials. And in my student experience as a teen in the mid-60s to the 80s, educational technology was now a projector. Holly, do you remember, maybe you're younger than me, remember those carefully done teacher foils that they put on the projector or tape recorders? Yes, I remember those. <laughs> I do remember the old ed techs. I'm, I'm not as young as I look. <laughs> okay, so, so all of that was cutting edge technology at the time. Now we are entering a personalized, individualized process of instruction a system approach that focuses on multimedia technologies intertwined with the use of artificial intelligence, avatars, simulations, metaverses, or other 3D environments. And this all really started in the 1990s with the British computer scientist, Tim Berners-Lee's World Wide Web. He was a physicist giving rise to a new generation of digital duels, expanding communication skills, and personal enrichment. Wow. Now, what are we doing looking forward with ed tech? We're looking back now, but how do we look forward? So when we look forward, I believe that no code metaverses and simulations using artificial intelligence components are the new frontiers. And I have one particular product that I really like, and it's Agora World's free metaverse. We definitely need to talk about that. So tell us what this Agora Worlds is and what does it do? Does it help educational institutions? How does it help learners? Give us all the details. Well, it's it's pretty new because I'm always looking at very new things. And I had conversations with Ethan Burke, who is the founder of Agora Worlds. So he created a metaverse that has a free component. So I believe that holds a great deal of promise and a low stakes entry point for educators to build a no code custom immersive world basically in minutes. I'm saying if I can do it, anyone can do it. So there's a free toolkit available to educators wanting to build, teach and or explore metaverses and experiences for their own digital teaching toolkit together with practical applications, for me, language learning and language teaching. So metaverse practical applications focus in terms of language teaching on content-based, project-based, or task-based language learning. These immersive environments can foster the activation of learners' background knowledge while fostering the synthesis of conceptual knowledge through direct observations and applied language practice. In addition, these first-person experiences support development of observational skills in real-world settings and facilitate the foundational skills of language learning 
through social and academic interactions. So there's a whole toolkit that is available for free. You can have two free worlds and you can play with them and you can put together something and you can invite students to go in. And what you have is a secure login. They don't capture data of students. There is a no code event creation layer. There's the ability to upload images and to slots in an event. There's an emote system, there's a booth system, there's a voice chat, acoustic echo cancellations, there is user self-muting, and then there is an interactive clickable globe to place a 3D location flag. And then there are setting customizations like the ability to change your mic and adjust network quality and so on. Um, there's video streaming, so you can place videos in the slots like images. There's a tuned first-person controller, a menu system, and then you have a choice of templates. There are several 3D worlds. There's an Expo Center, there's an Agora Forum Island, there's an art gallery, there's a Tiki Booth Room, a downtown Philadelphia. What I have done is I have created a gallery walk where I invited students in and they could look at a presentation and then they could split up and look at different places in that gallery walk in groups and they didn't have to walk together. So that's an interesting concept. If you were to teach ESL or English as a new language, ENL, to students, you could create something that's a gallery walk and students could come in and then they can split up and you as the facilitator can join different groups in different spaces. And I think that has real potential. Yes, absolutely. It sounds way above what Zoom breakout rooms can do. Like they're walking in this space and it's an environment you set up so you can obviously moderate it, but also it's creating a nice space for interaction. And I'd imagine that this being created when it's set up, you feel less like you're in like a, a virtual environment and more like it's just a normal, like you're going into a classroom kind of thing. Yeah, I have used the um, Expo Center, I have used the Art Gallery, and I've used Down Down Philadelphia. I also work with Yemen, and I also work with Burundi teachers to send people on a quest. And they love it. They, they love going in there. They love discovering things. And in addition to that idea of using a world to do language teaching, I am also fostering the ability for future teachers to see the potential of these technologies and what they might play a role in for their own teaching in countries like Yemen and in countries like Burundi. I love it that you're talking on an international scale too, and bring that perspective in to the show. And especially with language learning, which can be very difficult for people. I can just say I'm learning French right now. And people say French is the easiest language to learn. I can't imagine if somebody immersed me right now in that culture and I tried to speak some French, it would sound very much like broken French with a touch of Southern accent with a touch of Maryland. I don't even know, but these types of technologies are really necessary in our world so that we can help others. And I love it that you are bringing about that global perspective, but also reminding us that language is important too. And these texts can be implemented into those ecosystems as well. That's right. I love that. All right. So you're doing a lot. You have a lot going on. I see you out there on LinkedIn world. You go on to conferences, you're teaching, <laughs> you're doing all these other things. So tell us what's on your roadmap coming up. What do you have? What are some goals? Tell us some things. 
So my personal passion is sustainable development goal 4C. By 2030, substantially increase the supply of qualified teachers, including through international cooperation for teacher training in developing countries, especially least developed countries and small island developing states. So I do this teacher training and work closely with local not-for-profits in Yemen and Burundi. In Burundi, it's Computers for Schools Burundi, where I work with their CEO, Emma, and I train teachers in both cultural competency training and creating curricula for educational technology implementation for students. And so they have about 350 teachers and I think about 12,000 students in their programs. In Yemen, I work collaboratively with my Fulbright colleague, Dr. Abdullah Al-Gurbani from Future Horizons Foundation for translation training and development on TESOL training workshops. And I'm working on a simulation training program by SimSchool to train aspiring TESOL teachers. So SimSchool is a simulation program where you can have virtual field and practicum experiences. And my big goal is to use Agora World eventually to build a teacher world for professionalizing teaching English as a new language for teachers in, in these in countries that have less access. So having rooms where teachers can go in and interact with material, either as groups or as cohorts, but it's asynchronous for me. I would build the rooms, teachers can go through training, through videos, download curricula, whatever, and build that out. So that would be a big goal of mine. Oh my gosh, that is quite the goal. And I'm looking forward to seeing that happen. I really think that is going to be something spectacular for you and spectacular for people in the education world. Well, Ethan Berg and his team to I, we, we applied for a grant. Who knows if we're going to get it, but they see my vision too. And I think it would be awesome to put something like that out because remember when you are living in a country where the yearly income is less than a thousand dollars, charging someone five dollars for a workshop, that's the week's money to feed a family. In, right. In so when you talk about equity and access, that that only works if people have access, right? <laughs> and if you have no Makes access, sense. Makes you have sense. no equity yes. in it because we all come from this privileged background where $5 is a cup of coffee. And no, no, that's a lot of money in many cases. Yeah, I, I know we could probably do another whole episode about the inequities and things that exist across the globe when it comes to education. And I love the chat. Have you back on the show and definitely chat all about right. that. But we're coming up here on the final few minutes of the episode. And I have two final questions three technically if we're counting so did we miss anything and is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience jasmine and tell us you've told us a little bit but from your perspective and all the projects you're doing what does the future of educational technology look like so when I look forward, education work might unfold as this fluid panorama for future job seekers during environmental and geopolitical volatility 
uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. This is called VUCA, V-U-C-A. And their importance and presence of brick-and-mortar educational institutions might diminish in the near future as online learning, learning management systems, metaverses, together with artificial intelligence and AI-driven in-world uh, interactions are on the verge of a breakthrough adoption in that educational marketplace. What does the future of EdTech look like? AI, cloud computing, VR, AR, XR, 5G, 6G, and blockchain are forecast as the key technology, as the key technologies in terms of educational digitalization. So this improved global connectivity underpinned by 5G and future 6G networks will really be only accessible through global companies. And eventually 6G, that sixth generation of cellular networks, will integrate previously disparate technologies such as deep learning and big data analytics. But I believe ethical questions on data mining, biometric security, the effect of transglobal logistics on tracking of student data, optogenetics, human cognition and behavior models using that massive data set gathered through the metaverse, those are in urgent need of frank discussions across all stratas of education and governments. I also wow. Yeah, I really yeah, do because yeah. we are not at that table, right? We are right. not at the table. And we should be at the table because how can you run an experiment of this size when we don't even know what the neurological results will be working in such spaces? Does this change our wiring if you have a five-year-old in a metaverse versus a real classroom? Because the neuroplasticity yeah. of the brain hasn't been explored yet to its full extent. So let's say that you have a metaverse and let's say that they're running big data sets through it. Will that mean that a student gets tracked from the very earliest beginnings to their biometric data and then tracked and shafted into a space that a government believes that they will be fit in, sort of like a case system? I mean, those are discussions. Right, definitely discussions that need to be had and need to be prioritized for sure. Right. I think that educational organizations will need to focus on teaching in and for a digital age uh, to continue offering academic knowledge and skills relevant to 21st century markets and changing labor force needs. So we are really educating for a past, so an industrial labor force. But implementing contemporary disciplines will need to be embodied through learners' active knowledge-making experiences while embracing ubiquitous accessibility. So we also have the power of distributed ledger technology, which promises major streamlining for educational record-keeping, degree conferrals, and authenticity guarantees. In all, these augmented reality digital technologies really do hold the potential to restructure education philosophies and their underpinning pedagogies and thereby transforming the whole educational system. And, right. and I think we haven't really looked at this because we are looking to educate right now the way people were educated when there was manufacturing. That might disappear through automation. So when you are educating for job, 
25 years ago, the idea of a social engineer for a social network, that wasn't even on the table, right? But those are jobs now. So we need to educate for jobs that haven't even been invented yet. And how do Yes, we- I agree 100%. Just speaking from instructional design, it's always changing. And these things that you're talking about are going to and already are impacting what we do. Right. So that's what why I like Yuval Noah Harari's quote, because most important of all will be the ability to deal with change and to learn new things. Yes, that's a great way to end the episode. That's a great end scene. Great end quote. Jasmine, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing all of your experiences with us, what you're doing in this space and just love having you on and, and hearing all these things. And I learned some new things about you, even though we've worked together before. This is awesome. So thanks for coming on. You are welcome. It was my pleasure. I am very grateful to you that you gave me this time. And I want to thank all of the listeners uh, listening to it to have given me a time to listen to what I had to say. Absolutely. And all the things, finding you, contacting you, all your projects we're going to share in the show notes. So go there and find out more about Dr. Jasmine Cowan. You've just experienced another amazing episode of EdUp EdTech. Be sure to visit our website at edupedtech.com to get all the updates on the latest EdTech happenings. See you next time.